It's the setup. I'm Chris Grace. I'm John Accardo. And we are back in uh, full duo form. Full duo form. Um, I was replaced for a couple episodes. By Justin Zell by and Justin by Zell. Theron. Uh, Theron uh, Trowbridge, friend of the podcast. Uh-huh. Oh, I haven't put that part out yet. So yeah. The, yeah, last day, the last day I had to leave early, so I missed Avner the Eccentrics uh-huh. um, workshop. Yeah. Uh, Justin Zell took my spot, and Theron was taking it too. So they have actually recorded a little snippet of their reaction to the Avner workshop oh, okay. that I'll put at the end of this one. Gotcha. Um, and so, yeah, I think the only thing missing from uh, my side of the report of Magi Fest was that I didn't, I hadn't gone to the Danny Diorti's uh, workshop yet. Yes. Uh, which was very uh, fun. I thought that <laughs> good. <laughs> uh, I just heard an airplane outside. I thought it was a. Um, by the way, where you were, did you feel an earthquake? Oh yeah. Oh, I didn't. We didn't feel. I didn't. I slept through. Oh yeah. Um, I was. Uh, uh, it hit me. I, I, do you know where it was? No, I have no idea where it was. It felt close when it hit us, but uh, ah, so you felt it mm-hmm, definitely. Um, no, the Dan Deer Two's workshop was very good. Uh, this is our first podcast recording with cats yeah. around. Uh, oh, sorry, because we're in my office because my garage right. is being renovated. Cats right hanging out. Um, on a scale from one to ten, how jellical is this cat? Uh, well, was he blind when he's born? <laughs> da da dee da. Uh, I don't know. Uh, that's gonna be a solid seven. Um, so it was interesting. So the workshop was not as small as I would have liked. Okay, it was probably like fifty people. Which, from the episodes you put it, that that seemed to be a, a, a maybe a criticism you had of everything at the convention. Was that, that the, it? Was too big? Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least that's what I, I spoke to Theron last night when we were at the castle. And I, he... Yeah, it was big. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't mind finding a convention that's like 500 people max as opposed to 1,000. What was Penguin Max uh, West? Or that, max that was Penguin like West. 200 or something. Got it. Um, and uh, it, it's funny because uh, this one I was like, I definitely don't want to go to Magic Live because Magic Live is supposed to be lots more people. It is. Um, that but then being Rob, said, Robert said that the shows were in the actual theaters. Yeah, so that one being thing is, is being all the gala shows are in a giant Orleans hotel theater, yeah. which is nice. And two, they also, um, several of the things they do are with space in mind. So like they split up the entire convention in half. Okay. Uh, so they'll do every day in the morning and afternoon, half of the convention is in the theater watching what are essentially TED Talks to some degree. Mm-hmm. And the other half is actually split up into three groups in small hotel ballrooms watching lectures and such. So what it is is like if you're if, if you're not in the general session, as they call it, it's like the TED Talk kind of a thing, you're in a focus session and there are three focus sessions that are all hap- happening, happening simultaneously. They're each an hour long. They each happen twice. So like at 9 o'clock, I would go to one and then at 10 o'clock, I would go to another one. And then I can't see the third one you have to pick two of the three things so so you okay so, so now for, the, for those so basically for those quote-unquote lectures and that's what <clears> the most <throat> traditional lectures are even though they tend to be kind of specific um like when morgan and west there were there and they did a kodak thing right. it was one of these um someone will do like a rubber band magic one or a balloon magic Got one it. stuff like that and um and and so essentially when you're in that room watching those you're essentially one-sixth of the whole convention size. Okay. So not everything is jammed in to one spot. So, uh... Even the gala shows are split up. Each gala show happens twice in a night in ah, the Ah, okay. Interesting. So the the question I have about that is then, um, is it guaranteed that you're going to miss something? It's guaranteed that you cannot go to all of those focus sessions. There's less stuff there. So it basically, so every day for three days, there's um, three focus sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, they're different each day. Uh, and then you can always go to two of the three. I see. 
So yes, um, there is a guarantee that you will miss one focus I'm session okay a day, with which that. was weird to me because I had gone to some traditional like I've never been to a Magi Fest. Yeah. I've never been to an, well, I guess FISM is, is bigger than that, but I've never um, in America like I've been to uh, IBM's and such, yeah. um, which are a bit smaller. Um, so I thought that was going to be super weird. I was like, oh, that's stupid I, that I'm paying for this convention. I'm going to miss some stuff. But then when I started going, it's it's you know it's not a big deal. Well, I think what I found was that I was sort of creating my own. I'm going to miss some stuff because I was getting tired. Right. So it I really would just, is like, a marathon to get through some of these. How long was Magi Fest? It was Thursday, five o'clock, so five p.m. Thursday night, and then all day Friday. Friday was the really long day, mm-hmm. and then Saturday was some shows, lectures, and then the gala, and then Sunday was a smaller workshop with Danny Diorties and Avner. Okay. And the Sunday was kind of like. Most people had left. It was oh, interesting. Cause that, that, that's unusual. Usually, like all the biggest stuff of a convention happens on the last day. Yeah, interesting that like the quiet one of the quieter days is the last day. The very last day. So Saturday was really the last day, mm-hmm. um, and then Sunday was like a little bonus day. And I'm, I'm not even sure they originally planned anything for that Sunday. Oh, uh, except that maybe the two guys were just going to be around. Right. Um, so the Danger Tees workshop was uh, bigger. Again, it sort of continued this theme a little bit of sightlines still not being great. And, and uh, where Theron and I were for there for that one and where we sat was okay. But there were people behind us like audibly complaining. And the... And the Danny DRTs mm. about not being able to see. I see. And it's important to see <laughs> what's going on. Right. Um, I will say that, you know, I, I've I've gained some humility from the fact that like something as iconic and and genius level as Hamilton still has people that are like, eh, it's all right. Right. I, I, I'm going to that right now with Parasite. Anytime online, someone's yeah. like, this just was fine. I'm yeah. like, fuck you. Yeah. It's okay. You know. Well, okay. here's something else that happened. Um, another example of that is uh, going to a Danny Diorti's, uh lecture and having a guy in the back row fall asleep and snore. Ah. Like, audibly, like, loud. There's one thing I want to ask you about, about Danny Dortiz, just generally speaking. Yeah. This has been on my mind. Uh, I'm going to... Uh, this is from the good people at Magic Roasted Returns, which is an Instagram account. Okay. Just, you know, makes just mean jokes about magicians or just comments about magicians yeah. in, uh, in this person's story. He was at... Um, I believe it's uh, a, a, a guy that runs it... Um, uh, he was at Magi Fest. He posted uh-huh. a couple photos from Magi Fest. So, um, but anyway, this was a couple months ago, a um, month and a half ago or so, and he posted this thing that was basically um, the idea was that um, he hates the like. He was going off the notion that just because an audience doesn't vocally call you out for something doesn't mean they didn't see it. Uh-huh. And so basically, he was he was going off the notion that. Um, the idea of kind of like hoodwinking an audience with something like a casual psychological thing. Um, he goes, most like ninety percent of people are nice and aren't going to say something in the middle of your performance. Right. That does not mean that they didn't see it and that it worked and that it is good. Right. Um, and then, which I agree with, this is where he kind of loses me. Is the comma to that was, you know, that's why Danny Dartus's magic is horrible. And I was like, well, let's hold on. Let's, oh, I, there's a big jump from one to the other. Yeah, I could not disagree more. Yeah. So like, um, um I, I see what he's saying. Like all the kind of casual psychological stuff that he's hey, yeah. famous for. Um. He's basically saying like that kind of stuff. Just because no one's calling you on it doesn't mean it works. But I, mean, I don't. I do not follow him on the, the jump of that. I don't know who runs that account, but I'm. I feel confident in saying that Danny Diorties is like 100 times a better magician than whoever that is. <laughs> I mean, so, be, I mean, so am I. I but I feel you. confident saying that about Danny about almost anybody right. in relationship because if if that were true, I. Even last night we were at the castle, right? And I experienced it because we saw a someone in perform, and my husband, who is a layman, 
was like, "Is I, am I supposed to see this thing happen? You know, he saw some flash. Mm-hmm. I mean, Eric saw maybe two or three flashes, and I saw like six or seven. Right. And I did say that, like, we were kind of like doing a little pretending where like the audience is pretending like I didn't see that. Like, so... Yes, this is theoretically. Is it weird doing pretending? Like the audience, like we're all you were all kind of doing that. Did you feel uh, no, I, or are you no. talking about yourself? Just myself, but then I was surprised that Eric also saw some flashes. Oh sure. So I thought it was a bad angle for my spot or whatever. Uh, were you guys standing? No, we were sitting. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. I we mean, were, let's put it this way: we we're sitting in a very small room, right? <laughs> and like, I don't know when you've worked closer room. I, um, it was a closer room. I won't say who it was, but when you work closer room. For if you're in the front row, there's times I can see under the cards. The, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's, it's, yeah, you really got it. a lot. A lot of people don't pay attention to that. Okay, I'm usually I'm pretty good about it. Um, Multiple times I was able to see under the deck and see that a card that was going to be located a little bit later right. was already on the bottom of the deck. Yes, a lot of people do not account for how even not even the. Um, the, the Magic Castle, the close-up gallery is a very specific instance where that yeah. front row is pretty low. Yeah. But you would be a surprise. I mean, really pay attention to next time you're sitting at a table with someone where you're both level with each other and they're holding a deck of cards, which is, you know, maybe at your stomach level. Yeah. How easily you can see, even if they just cock their wrist ever so slightly, you can see that bottom card of a yeah. deck. It is really easy, and I think a lot of people yeah. really are not. So, I, I mean, years ago in the junior program, sometimes I, ca- I, 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 I you know, um, catch myself not doing this, and sometimes it slides through the cracks. Also, a lot of the stuff I'm doing in the close-up gallery these days uh, is not the kind of stuff that is right. like contingent upon you not seeing what the card is. There's not right. a lot of like top changes and stuff like that, um, where the whole front row is like, oh, that is yeah. not the card he says it is. That's not the kind of stuff I'm doing, so maybe that's why. But I, I was t- taught to uh, not have the cards parallel to the table, but almost perpendicular. So I'm like, I'm basically almost straining my wrist so that the cards mm. um, are pointing straight down towards the ground. Interesting. Um, and that way that completely solves that problem. Um, now what Danny would say is that you need to back up from the table. Oh. He specifically said that he sets his chair like really far back from the table oh. so that he can just like lean back so that if he's doing, he was saying doing a double lift over the table is terrible because you're always having to like hold your wrist in this weird way. And so he was like, but you lean back whenever. Hmm. So, to that person's point, I would say that I just don't follow the jump. I get so what he's saying about like that would be true about Danny Ortiz if he wasn't frying magicians regularly, right? At conventions where like the convention full of magicians, when he did this dollar bill trick that he did, that in fact the people around me caught on to what the final revelation was before I did. I, I even last night as you're describing to me, I'm like, I know where this is going and it uh, sounds like it was amazing. Yeah. So just to sum up, sum up real quickly. Uh, nah, I won't. It's just because <laughs> some of his thing is about surprise, but basically like I didn't cat cotton onto what it was. And then I was like, wait, what, what, what's going on? Right. And then it was this, this slow wave of just like, Oh no. Right. And he off, honestly, I think the way you know that it's working on people is that you're getting almost angry reactions from the audience right. with him sometimes. Oh, one of the most memorable uh, reactions I've ever heard from an audience across an entire show was Danny Ortiz in the Peller. Yeah. I don't think I saw him the last time, maybe two times ago, because uh, I think it was out of town. Um, oh, remember, that was the time you went home from uh, Edinburgh, and I was like, oh, Danny Ortiz is there like right now. I don't, oh, I don't right. think you could make it in. But, right. So I had seen him before, and that was an audience of you know mostly lay people. I recognized a couple of magicians, but it was mostly lay people. And he just did 45 minutes by himself at that table in the Peller. Yeah. Uh, and it was one of the strongest audience reactions to a show I've ever seen at the castle. Yeah. So to me, I'm like, oh, that's, you know. The other thing I would say is there that... Was something, there was something happening. 
the other thing I would say is that he is incredibly relaxed as a performer, right? In a way that he, I would even say, even if the me- magic was mediocre, which it is absolutely not, but if it was mediocre, just as a performer, people would like him just because he's very, very funny, right? Very um, improvisatory and like very in the moment mm-hmm. the whole time. Um, and uh, I guess I would say. Like, so, uh, and the thing about, like, oh, they didn't notice this or that, he did a thing, I will summarize what this trick was in the, in the lecture, because he explained it, but it was, it's really not that, it's basically like, um, uh, you have a deck, Mm -hmm. and I forget, somehow a card gets selected, oh no, you sign your card, Um, and then, like, he borrows a deck from somebody in the audience, and the effect is basically like the card disappears. He doesn't. He never touches that deck. Card disappears from your deck, and it's reversed signed in the audience member's deck. Oh, jeez. So basically, he explained it. The, the the sort of cliche Danny D'Ortiz thing is that like people think I don't touch the deck, and I touch the deck. Right. And he explained like he went over and like took the deck out. He palmed the card. Took the deck out, put it in that guy's deck, and gave it back to him. And I remember, I was thinking back, like I don't remember that moment at all. Mm. It was so casual and done. A lot of it is that because he's doing things before you think anything is important, right? So you you're not placing any weight on the things he's touching, right. absolutely. And that's when he's doing moves. Um, and that's almost the entirety of like uh, the majority of his effects are just manipulating when you think you're supposed to be paying attention or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so and here's something else I thought about which is that he's an amazing performer uh we also saw david williamson who's an amazing performer um and i thought it was interesting there's such good performers that i almost start to think like well they're not really magicians they're he's a david williamson is a comedian Mm -hmm. and uh you know danny dirty's is like an entertainer or like whatever and it's funny to me that i was thinking like as they become good performers i start to see them not being magicians anymore (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but they definitely oh, are. Sad. Um, speaking of which, I brought you a couple things. Oh, this is uh, well, you can see what that is. Uh, they had a little deal the, on that. The I got delivery you. system. It's by Michael Kaminskis. A whole Michael Kaminskis, who makes very nice cups and balls, and I bought a magic wand of his. Oh yeah, I know this. Um, and uh, the, the I, I only hesitate because I bought a magic wand from him, which was not cheap. And then I walked around the corner to a very, uh, like a Chinese knockoff place that Uh had ones for $6 and they were like pretty nice. So I bought one of those two. But this is a, I believe it is a a holdout of some kind. And it can hold two, uh, I think two, maybe, decks of cards. Cool. I thought that might come in useful. And it's... uh, It's magnetic? uh, I think there's some magnets and it's also got belt loops. Oh. So it seems like that's something you could get use out of. I can ruin a lot of dates with this. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I do want to, we had mentioned it before when we talked about, with Justin, about Wolfgang Moser. Yes. Let's talk about Wolfgang Moser. Well, let's talk uh, about the Porchette, Porchette, which okay. was the, like the beginning of his lecture. The first 20 minutes was just lecturing about the Porchette. Okay. The, and that's a, for those at home who don't know, that's a type of mushroom, I believe. Yeah. Um, do you know what it is? Uh, I believe I just hilariously explained that I do not know what that is. So it is an extra, I'm demonstrating to John, it's an extra pocket that's sewn into the back of Oh your, yes, you explained that on the episode. I forgot like, that. And it's like, imagine a pocket here. That you can just drop stuff into. And he did demonstrate... And this is not a magic thing. A porchette is just a real type of pocket. No, I think it is a magic thing. I, think, I think it's like a servant. Got it. Okay. Um, I, he was dem- This is how he did diminishing cards. Like when he needed to ditch stuff, he would just sort of have his hand and then just... And he would literally just like turn like this and he ditched it. Wow. Um, 
And so his diminishing cards looks like he never goes to the pocket. Right. I remember you which mentioning. Yeah. Great. Every diminishing card goes to the pocket. Yeah. It looks like he never does. Mm-hmm. So and it was it, it. And he was kind of. I mean, honestly, he had lecture notes and whatever. But the first part of his thing, he just kept talking about this how great this Prochette was. Ah. Uh, okay. Here's your second thing. Oh. This is a poster. Okay. In a tube. Okay. John is opening up. All right. This was a special poster handed out to all of us, and I grabbed an extra one. For you, ah, it is a uh, uh, like a caricature. Oh, it's signed. Thank you. Uh-huh. I'm hoping you're the one that signed it. Yeah, yeah. Um, of David Williamson in a party hat. It says "Guest of Honor 2020." I'll take a picture of it afterwards and put yeah. it on the Instagram. I thought you were like that. Oh yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I love David Williamson. He's, and, he's... and he signed it to you. Oh, that's great. Um, so I think we had talked a little bit about David Williamson. With Justin, where I was a little trepidatious about how you he were. I'm listening to that episode today. Um, so uh, I guess that this will probably come out tomorrow, or you want to bank this? What Maybe like it? on Saturday or something. Okay, yeah. So, okay, so then if you listen to our last episode a few days ago with uh, Chris and Justin, it's about 15 minutes long. It's not a very long episode. Um, yeah, you talked about David. Well, hey, tell the story. Um, I, well, I think that um, he was very, very rough on a, chi- on a, chi- a kid volunteer. Right. And it, surprising coming from me, because I love when people are rough on kids. <laughs> love it. <laughs> Uh, by the way, I will say, yeah. Did I mention what Arden James said to me after his no. thing? Arden James, um, you didn't mention that you talked to him. No. So Arden James. Oh uh, yeah, that if you you got to see him at a castle kid. Yeah, and did I tell you what he said? No. <laughs> he was like, "You got to come see him at the brunch because uh, the castle lets me do a lot of stuff with kids." And I was like, "Arden, you can't say that out loud." <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, he was delightful. Um, David Williamson. Uh, I mean, I like like there's a show at Edinburgh Fringe called Funs and Games. I love where mm-hmm. they're very rough. They're, they they make fun of kids, and I love actually. I saw a little bit of Chris Capehart uh, Saturday okay. morning, similar thing. Um, but this was different because it was a lecture, and it was it was the equivalent of like, John, would you like to come up stage and show us an act? And then you get turned into a foil for like a right. comedy bit, right? Um, so that said, then after the gala performance, which ended at nine thirty. David Williamson was at the lobby tables mm-hmm. until like two in the morning. Right. Just sitting there. He's kind of famous for that, like hanging and out. And we'll hang out and we'd talk can, to there's, anybody. There's a lot of videos on YouTube of like, you know, 45 second iPhone shots over someone's shoulder of him on like sitting on the floor in a convention hall yes. showing someone a matrix. Um, so, I, he's famous for like being very nice and giving when it comes to material like that. So I don't know if it's because of people like him that have established this thing, but I will say that. And I, Josh J also had a very, um, uh, and Andy Gladwin. Andy Gladwin was sitting on the ground out there mm-hmm. having a kid show him a thing. So I don't know if this is just a thing in magic everybody does, which is nice, or if some some people are sort of setting the standard of like this is how you should be. But a right. lot of people, I would say this is the most sort of refreshing and fun thing about this convention. Mm-hmm. And I guess maybe it's true of, of for all the disparaging I've done of jamming and sessioning. Um, Have you done a lot of disparaging jamming and sessioning? No, nah, just the just the the, the idea. I, there, I, the, I, you have, I, I guess, expressed poked a lot of fun at the idea of, of like asking what a jam is. Like, calling it a jam. If you go to a jam, like what, what what's happening? Like what are you expecting to happen? Well, I don't the, really have a clear answer. I have a clearer answer now, which is that like it's just guys. I mean, I did also make a joke that jamming is what magicians call socializing, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is it is. It is a nice thing that people hang out and show each other stuff. I think I'm a little, um, uh, where not wary. I'm more reluctant because honestly, I feel like I sit down and I don't have anything to offer. Mm-hmm. Like, so I don't have some great thing that's going to fry somebody that right. I came up with. So 
you know, I, in fact, I even had a little bit of a thing where, uh, it was me, Justin and two other magicians and the two other magicians were very, they were going in a direction that I dreaded that these jams and sessions would go to, which is that it's like, Oh, have you seen uh, this diagonal palm shift? Have you seen like, like, you know, well, Hofstinger says you do it like this. And like, it was became a very move oriented discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of like, what's the next thing you have that's going to be impress whatever. And it just became a kind of dull conversation to me. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, I don't have anything to contribute. Right. And I feel like I'm just watching you two guys do moves over and over, you know, like whatever. So, and one of them had been doing a lot of tricks for the three of us. So I thought, Oh, it'd be fun. Like maybe we should do, like maybe we should all do a trick, and I did one that was um, just a very simple one I've learned, and the sort of like trick is over, and then just like uh-huh. so anyway, uh, <laughs> like the total lack of uh, response to the right. thing I did, um, especially considering the a couple of the tricks the guy did were very like I knew exactly what that is, and it's a, this is a very mediocre version of it, right. and I was being very like oh that's you know uh-huh. oh that that one change you made was interesting. Yeah, sometimes people are shitty, so uh, that made me go like I don't like this feeling of like sure. trying to impress other people. It, it, that was the only moment, and it only lasted about ten minutes for the whole convention, where I felt that your worth in these hangouts was attached to how good of a magician you were right which is not a good feeling yeah. um but generally it didn't feel that way uh how many women are at this convention um well uh i think justin counted at one point that he was doing some diversity counting sure and it was like one in 20 people were black three or three or four in 20 were uh asian i think it was maybe two out of 20 one out of 20 or something were women and and it, I forgot what he wrote, but it was something. Uh, Justin, you can email me and tell me what it was. It was something like, uh, "bald white men over forty, like seventy percent or yeah. something." Um, there were some women. Um, at one point, David Williams. You know what? It asked, does sound like those are slightly worse numbers. I would assume maybe because it's the Midwest. Maybe. You know, than Ve- Vegas. Than, yeah, yeah, like Vegas has. I think has better numbers than that. Yeah. Um, um, the. And then Fism, I mean, was. The Lots of Asians. Was mostly Asians. I don't. Um, I don't remember meeting another just like American. Right. I met a guy. I met a. I, I met a guy who I think uh, was an American, like maybe raised in America, but lived in China. Uh, um, and that was kind of as close as I got. Um. So David Williamson at one point asked for uh, parents. Like he needed three parents to come up and be the judge for something. Mm-hmm. Those were all women. And then I started thinking like, oh wait, <laughs> the women that are in the audience are most of them the parents of a child. Right. So like actual women magicians, it didn't seem like that many. Mm-hmm. I would guess, uh, okay, I'll put it this way. Women that I saw, um, that I saw sort of engaged in like hanging out in the sessions out of the tables, uh, or sort of being in a lecture and like taking notes and that stuff. I would say I visually saw probably less than, I don't want to, I want to say 20. Wow. It's probably more, mm-hmm. but, um, like I only saw maybe three women actually doing tricks like out in the lobby, mm-hmm. whereas like the number of men, of course, you, you couldn't turn a corner without somebody doing a matrix, right? <laughs> um, and I and I think I mentioned this, but I do as congenial as uh and um, you know the the fraternity of guys hanging out showing each other tricks. I do wonder how welcoming that is to a woman, right? You know. 
because well, you have to wonder. Even if people are trying to be welcoming, you have to wonder yeah. how many like microaggressions they unintentionally are just kind of putting off because they don't really get the issue. You know. Well, like I, I I'm, I was trying to be very. I, I was actually more social than I. I was proud that I was more social than I usually am. Mm-hmm. But like, if it's if it's a table with eight seats and there's six guys sitting there, and I recognize three of them and they all sort of know each other. It does feel a little, little. I know that they would all say like, "Sure, sit down and like mm-hmm. talk to me." Oh but, yeah, it feels weird to break into that. 100%. But I feel weird being like the one, right. and it's also because um, I'm entering this world where like literally it seemed like so many people knew each other, which is true because they all have like been at conventions and right. worked with each other and that stuff. So you're sort of walking into this sort of like social net that you don't have any bearings as to like who or what or how things work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say that. The the one thing I'm learning through all this is that magic is a very singular thing. You know, we often like try to compare it or make analogs to comedy and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And there really is no um it's very different than comedy because you can't go to San Francisco Sketchfest uh and then sit at a table with Amy Poehler and talk about Right comedy right she's not gonna she's not gonna be sitting in the lobby waiting for anybody to come up here and talk to her about comedy right whereas at this one you could like sit next to danny Ortiz and david williamson at some points on the weekend and talk about magic right and so i think that's very cool yeah um i think so, most people in magic tend to be very very approachable at those conventions yeah and actually belies the or that's not the right word but contradicts the idea of magicians being all Social butterflies, like, didn't seem like that to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the, the aspect of it is like that it's its own little club and people feel comfortable or something. Right. But. I think maybe part of it is that, um, you know, Amy Poehler has to be Amy Poehler everywhere she goes. Yeah. Uh, whereas, like, if you're Danny DRT, is this is this is when you're getting noticed. You know, so uh-huh. it's like the energy you have to put up with quote unquote fans people, <laughs> right. uh, is is not spent already. You right? have to be. You get a weekend rare rock star, and you go, go, then you can go into a coffee shop and not have everybody, right. you know, notice you or try to get you to put them in a movie or like something like you know. And you only have to be accommodating for about seventy two hours. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, Believe me, I had to push away some fans. Did you meet any superstar fans? Uh, I I met some superstar fans, which is fun. That's great. Um, I actually got a ride to the airport Sunday because of a superstar fan. Really? <laughs> so I saved on the Uber. <laughs> Uh, so I th- thanks to John Helwig from the Columbus Sam Assembly cool. for uh, giving me the ride. It was very nice. Um, so, yeah, I have a question for you about uh, so this Wolfgang Moser person. Yes. Uh, quite frankly, maybe it's just – I don't know if, if, if that's more of a statement about, like, how popular he is in America or if I just have a blind spot. But um, yeah. I had not heard of him before um, this convention. This was his first English lecture ever. Wow. Uh, incredible. By, by the way, English is great. Uh, is he German? Yes. Uh, he's Austrian. Austrian. Yeah. Um. So I, my question for you is you said something on the episode the other day about uh, how important it is to him that people stop saying thank you at the end of tricks. Yes. The reason I was interested in by that is because at that point in the episode, I don't even think he talked about it in this other one, but at that point in the episode, I'm a little ahead of you because I know that when you go to see Avner's lecture, he's about to say a very similar thing. Uh, or I'm sorry, not, not about thank you, but Avner's about to say a similar thing that he says about uh, um, having people clap for audience members as they come up. Because he says not to do it, and I know, from, remember from Avner's FISM lecture, and I'm a step ahead of you as I'm listening to you put yes. out this episode. I go, oh well, Chris doesn't know that Avner's about to say the same thing, and it's, I and I don't remember Avner saying exactly the same okay. thing. Okay, um, so what my recollection of Avner's FISM is that 
you want to be able to connect with this person as they come up on stage and you want them to feel very, very connected to you and you don't want them to feel like they're in the middle of a giant audience, which uh, they are. Because yes, if yes. you... The idea is if it's just you, you and them. Yeah, it's just you and them, and that's how you establish connection, and that's how you. Ultimately, his whole what he was saying to us was, and maybe because it's sort of a different lecture, who knows? But what he was saying to us is one of those big things was the way when I interact with audience members, my my goal is that. Oh, oh, that poor cat. The cat. This cat's having a lot of fun. Go away. Um, his idea was that when the, his what he wants for the audience is that anytime he brings an audience member on st- up on stage and interacts with them and he sends them back to their seat, he wants other people in the audience. What he wants them to be saying is that looked like fun. I want to do that. Oh, he actually, I don't remember him mentioning. Oh, so that. maybe he gives different variations of the lecture. He did say um, <clears throat> to follow them back to their seat. Oh, interesting. Um, to make sure, not follow them back to seat, but basically follow them <clears> home. To make sure that they, to visually make sure that they make it back to their seat, mm-hmm. because um, one that it would uh, there's it's nothing. You're not going to do anything more interesting than seeing that person right. climb over those seats. But also, and, and then you he, just to mention that, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but um, so no, I actually don't remember that. But it's also possible that I missed it. Right. And so, okay. So, so part of that, then, yeah, a lot of the way he talked about interacting with audience members was about how to do that. He even had a very interesting ideas about uh, how to inter- how to how to kind of give them their own personal space when they're on stage with you. Yes, but he did the- mention that. He did a sort of like he sort of demonstrated how close you could get. To them right did he do that they... did he do the thing where he had like s- sort of spread out a deck of cards but kind of like from far away sort of at a full arm's length no oh yeah so it, it was the way that you don't just like really invade their space be kind of a it was a sort of physical exercise of hold basically like if you have someone pick out a card um you sort of don't get up close to them you let them come to you you kind yeah. of spread out your the cards sort of far away so then they kind of reach and once they're sort of engaged then you can sort of step a little bit closer and and, and it's a little less jarring to them potentially he did demonst- so everything he talked about doing with the spectator all served that goal that he'd mentioned about like trying to make them comfortable and that was part of that is if an audience is you know screaming and clapping for them as they come up they're forced to be reminded that yes they're in the middle of this big thing and now the pressure's back on instead of feeling relaxed but I think the idea of of how do I make this person feel like it's only them and me, and not feel the pressure of maybe having three hundred people looking at them and clapping for it, you know, yeah. and clapping is a, is a verbal reminder for them that they're they have all this pressure, yeah. and that all these people are watching them, and they have the potential to make or break this moment, sort of. Yeah. Um. My, but as I've tried it in shows, and one is people people know to clap for a spec- someone when they come up on stage. So even if I don't say it, some people will start it and then it starts. So that's part of it, which is unfortunate. And the second part is it's there is a bit of a strange silence there that maybe it's nice for you and the spectator, but sometimes it is weirder for the audience. Mm. I'm not saying it's not like a good idea. I'm just saying that for me as a magician, I've yet to figure out what the proper alternative to that is or the proper way to handle that moment. So I think Avner and Wolfgang Moser are actually looking at two different ideas. One is I don't think Wolfgang Moser is as a, um, his idea is not the concept of creating the inner the, the two person bond. Mm-hmm. It's just that he doesn't want the language of the show to be dictating to the audience how to behave. OK, so because he actually just does this, he goes, um, uh, excuse me, sir, would you help me? Can I ask you to join me up on stage? Help me there. Uh, what's your name? John. John. John, everybody. And then he just starts. He uh-huh. does, He just. He was very. Oh, so if the applause happens, he's fine. Yeah, with he's, it. Fine he's just with not telling them to. He's picky about not being like, give John a big round of applause, everybody. Right. But he would just be introduce him to us and just be like, John, everybody. So th- yeah, so he was not worried about tamping down the applause. I see. Uh, and then similarly, 
he doesn't mind if you say thank you at the end of your trick, except that he doesn't want you to say thank you before they start applauding, which I understand. Right. Because you're not thanking them for anything. Um, and I think that, uh, yeah, I, so they're definitely, I don't think they're, he was not so concerned about breaking that bond. I can also see that Avner would want that because his show is different. Like he's yes, he's not a magician. Oh, yeah. what, so what do you think of his? You guys didn't get too much into his show. What do you think of his show? I like his show a lot. Um, I think that um, I think that for some people his show was mind blowing. Mm-hmm. For me, I have seen a lot of. You've seen a lot of clowns. I, I've specifically seen a lot of French trained clowns. So mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of Philippe Gaulier trained and Lecoq trained uh, clowns. And uh, Avner is from the Lecoq school. Mm-hmm. So um, it's funny. I was thinking like there are some things that he does very well. I wonder what are the things in the French clown world that are like hack <laughs> mm. um, or that are the equivalent of like ambitious card. Right. Because there are moments and I had a Russian uh, clowning teacher in college that I could never do this thing he wanted me to do, which was you have four objects in your hands and you keep trying to pick up one and another one drops. Uh, mm-hmm. And you every time you pick up the one that drop, you drop right. another one. And Avner does that very well. He does it very well. And for a long time and it's very funny. Yeah. And it reminded me of my of Yuri Belov, my Russian clown teacher. Uh but his, no, his show was really good. Um it actually does have a I think it has a not insignificant ma- amount of magic in it. Okay. Um he now I can't remember what anymore. Did was. you meet him at all? Did you talk to him? I did talk to him. He's a um, very nice guy. Very nice. I talked to him. I actually specifically asked him what the difference between Lecoq and Golier uh, schools was and he said fuck off uh no he said well the thing is is that i think golia was it from lecoq and started his own school and he said that the he said put it this way the facebook group name for golia students is uh uh like something like please professor golia hit me with a stick <laughs> and i have taken a class from a golia trained clown okay and it was like that um, I you know I'd be fascinated to see you take this class, but it's it's really rough. Really? Yes. So imagine this. This is the premise of the of today's three hour class. Um, one by one, you're going to go on stage. You're going to go behind the curtain. When you come out of the curtain, you're going to do something. I forget. It was like you have to just do anything you can to make us laugh. And if that I don't like, sounds if horrifying. I if I don't like what you're doing. I'm going to bang this wooden spoon on this pot and you have to leave and you have to go get in line and come back and do it again. So, um, people would come out and do like, "Eh, it's my funny voice. (laughs) Like they bang the pot. And then I just remember this poor guy. He came out and did it again. Same funny voice. And the teacher would stop and be like, was this funny? The, did we put it this way? Did you hear us laugh the first time you did this? He's like, no. It's like, so why are you doing it again? And he's like, go back and do it again. And then the third time, he kind of came out, did something else for a little while, and then went back to the thing. And the teacher let it go. And he just turned to us. And he's like, I don't know what he's doing. Like, are any of you, do any of you find this funny? Jesus <laughs> Christ. So that's the kind of like Goliad clown school. Um, Good God. And then I talked to that teacher, and he was like, yeah, I was in this kind of class. And couldn't get him to laugh for nine months. And I was like, oh my God, this is like really old was school. Was the teacher who did that you spoke to and he yes. said that was his experience? With Golier, the original it. teacher. Oh, the original Golier. Yeah. Um, okay, so then I think we talked about Hector Mancha. We did. And 
how good. amazing it was. Yeah, he's very good. Yeah. And also, I there's some lighting issues. I recommend you go to YouTube and look at Hector Munch's. Yeah, there's a good representation of it um, on, video, on YouTube. Okay. I think proceeded with an interview with Shin Lim. Yes. And then uh, we were talking about how we'd seen Arthur Trace at the castle. Then I brought up the fact that uh, Rick Merrill, who I'd mm-hmm. never heard of until today when I was looking at FISM results, is yeah. also in the Handsome Magicians Club. Yep, yep, yep. Lots of handsome magicians at the Magi Fest, I will say. Oh, I can imagine you had a field day. Um, lots and lots of them. It's a good, it's a good uh, new hobby of mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so we were talking about Arthur Trace, but um, oh, that's why I was turning. So this is why I was turning to the computer, and I saw that the recording had stopped because I wanted to look up Arthur Trace. Got third in manipulation in two thousand six. I yes. think you were saying. Um, I believe I can't. T- I believe David Sousa won first that year. Um, for manipulation, yeah. Uh, I believe it was a Chinese person named like D. Ben Chin or something that I had never heard of. Uh, but let's see, where are those results? Anyway, I really liked Arthur Trace's act. Yeah, it's very good. And while I was watching it, I didn't know that he was a FISM competitor. I was watching it, going like, "This seems like a FISM act," uh, and it was, and mostly because. I think because it was um, uh, silent, mm-hmm. it was too music, and that it was kind of artistically like ambitious. Right. Yeah, so if you haven't seen Arthur Trace's act, I believe that some, uh, might be on YouTube. I'm not sure, actually. Uh, it is of, on YouTube. Okay. Yeah. Um, it is, yes, this postmodern art thing, and he's interacting with this painting, and he's making it a little bit more colorful, and it's very cool. You have the results up. What, what do we I do. At? Uh, David Sousa got second. Oh, okay, right. Dai Bin Chun from China got first. And manipulation? Yep. And the close-up Grand Prix winner was Rick Merrill. And the Grand Prix stage was Pilau. Pilou. Pilou. From France? Yes. He's got a good act. That's on YouTube, too. He does a lot of uh, all this um, magic to uh, the soundtrack of Les Mis. <laughs> or, right. or parts of it. I think uh, some parts of it aren't. Um, some of his acts. So his, unfortunately, and Pilou is very, very good. And I've seen him perform a couple times, and he's great. However, I will say he is kind of one of the people I think of when I think about the way FISM jumps up in quality. Uh-huh. Not that his act was bad or undeserving of that award. But it's the kind of thing that like, because of him and because of the work he does, it raises the bar, and then people exceed that bar the next time around. Right. So the, his is the kind of act that if he were to take it back to the next FISM or to a FISM now, it, wouldn't, you know, it would not do well. Right. Uh, and then the next... Which is most acts. Yeah. And it's also most uh, industries. Yes. Um, yeah. 2009, the uh, stage winner was Soma. Yeah, from uh, Hungary. His act is also on uh, YouTube. Um, cool thing with uh, a telephone. He's got and a then, phone uh, manipulation. And Sean Farquhar won close up that year. Yeah, that's 2009. Uh, and so 2009 was the uh, was um, I started doing magic in 2008. So that I, I've been I rounded about a full year. Ask. So that's why one of the reasons why I'm so physical obsessed is because like as because it takes you about a year to kind of. I, this is about a couple months after I joined the castle. Uh-huh. Uh, it, that was in March when I joined the castle as a junior. So I'm, this is the first summer that I'm really steeped in it. Right. And um, and all these videos are coming out. Right. And I'm just like falling in love with them. And I'm seeing what what the magic world is telling me is right. people at the top, uh, top of the industry and the top of the art form. And I get to see. And these acts really hold up. Um, I can imagine. Let's see. Who won manipulation that year? Uh but this is 2012. Oh, really 2012? Yeah. Well, oh, 2012, I, I know those results like the back of my hand. Yeah, so these are two pretty, like, uh, iconic winners uh, for 2012. Oh, yeah, Yonfresh and Yuho Jin. Yeah. So Yuho Jin is the kind of, uh, as evidenced by his performance at FISM in 2018 in the gala show, Yuho Jin is one of those acts that he could compete anywhere, anytime. And, and I think Yon, Yon Frisch could, too. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I assume that was the 
ball with the cup. Yeah, of course. Thing. Of course, yeah. of course. Uh, 2015, as mentioned, was Hector Mancha, who mm-hmm. we saw at the gala. And he did his Fism Act at the yeah. at Magi Fest. And then Pierre, I believe. Won yes. The close-up one. And uh, do, you, do you know anything about Pierre? I do. I've seen him perform. He did Magic Live a couple years ago. Very interesting. Not the kind of act you would expect to win the Grand Prix of Fism, but it is very good. Uh... But it doesn't like punch as hard as Eric Chen would three years later or Jan Frisch did three years earlier. Right. But it's good. Also, it's sort of a slapstick comedy routine where he's going to do a coin trick, a card trick, and the cups and balls, and he keeps messing them up. So he's actually coming up with quicker and more abridged ways of doing the tricks. Uh, so we're watching a card trick be done, or a coin matrix be done in a tenth of the time it takes to do a coin matrix. Uh, or the cups and balls, he takes them out, he shows the cups are empty, and then goes, you know what, there's no time, and then just immediately does the final lows. Then it's like, you know a bunch of rice and sand, you know, shit like that. <laughs> um, his watch keeps moving around. He does this weird gag with his leg that keeps like popping up um, and like going stiff. Um, it's, it's bizarre. By the way, in 2015, uh, Wolfgang Moser got second in parlor. Oh, okay. To behind Pierrick. Very interesting. Uh, and that was the year. Tell me the story again. Horat Wu and Shin Lim both got first. Well, yes. So, well, you can a lot, every, every physim you'll usually find a tie of some kind. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so in 2015, Horat Wu and Shin Lim tried for first place in card magic, which is not unusual. What happened that year was that, um, and this was kind of a controversy over how you felt about it, was that Woody Aragon competed. Oh, he, this is the year that he went over? Yes, the year he went a couple seconds over and it's disqualified, but it's released later that he has the highest score and would have won first prize, <laughs> oh, no. forcing Horat Wu and Shin Lim into a tie for second place. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and what's interesting is he, um, there's this, he posts this big thing on Facebook. Maybe I shouldn't be talking about this. I don't know. <laughs> he put it on, no, he, no, he put it on Facebook publicly, right? I, yeah. uh, if I know about it and I don't know what he, we're not friends, yeah. then it's a thing that's out there in the world. Um, he, he was, <laughs> excuse me, I'm sorry. He put out a thing because he was pretty upset. Uh, that at FISM, when you have uh, you have ten minutes, at the ninth minute, a yellow light is supposed to flash. Right, and then he goes at this year's FISM. He goes when I competed, there was no yellow light. Now, granted, in that year, a lot of people have complained about that competition, about uh-huh. that FISM. And in fact, uh, um, in 2015, Jan Frisch goes back and recompetes again with a new version of the act. Um, and in fact, he chooses not to do certain parts of it because uh-huh. of how poorly the competition was being run. Ooh. In fact, I don't remember who, and I'm sorry, I should know this person's name, but I believe there was an act that year that 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 that, uh, that was apparently doing amazing at other competitions and was sweeping up awards. But then at that, because he was so upset with how FISM was being run that particular year, he just comes out and instead just gives a speech protesting why he thinks FISM is is, um, is making such a mistake. Whoa. Because what that, day, that year they had done was they had invited in an Italian TV studio to film and uh. televise the, the competition. And then the priority was not putting on a good magic competition, a good convention. It was becoming putting on a TV show, gotcha. which is incredibly different priorities. You can go, if you type in like Horat Wu FISM, Shinlin FISM, you'll find it's called Masters of Magic, I believe is the name of the program. Right. And they'll find videos of people performing that are overdubbed in Italian. And it sometimes is very jarring. And so a lot of people were very, very upset. Anyway, so I know Jan Frisch has said that there were elements of his act that he did not do. So maybe there was something about that. I don't know. I was not there. But What, what category gone, would Jan Frisch have been in? Jan Frisch, I believe in... Tw- well, it's funny. If you go back, if you download the full scores, which you can find somewhere, not on the page you're looking at, but you can find how everybody scored. He was ultimately scored in the comedy magic section. I don't know why. But okay. he, um, but if you if you can find a video of his act, it's pretty cool. Um, there's just like one of those things where there's like a red ball on the table, and then the lights will go off for like a tenth of a tenth of a second, and the lights will come back on. Instead of a red ball on the table, there's like forty green balls, oh. and then the lights go off again really really quickly, and they'll come back on just and like two red balls, stuff like very weird, cool sort of yeah. deviations from his normal. He act. did not place. 
So no, he did not. Um, I and I, I think he got like fifth or sixth in comedy or something. Um, so and Woody Aragon was so saying, Woody Aragon goes. So he posts on Facebook that normally there's supposed to be this yellow light at nine minutes that flashes, and then a red light at ten. He goes, there was no yellow light. Uh, that to keep me from um, this is like that Star Trek episode. Uh, I don't know it. There, there, there are there was no yellow light. There are there was a light. You know, nerds will get that. Okay, uh, so sure someone will. I'm referring to. I was too busy kissing girls. I wasn't too. Busy I was referring to there are four lights. Okay, so it's just a brain. They try to brainwash Captain Picard. Gotcha. Um, sorry, I didn't get that reference. Uh, I've never big Star Wars, Star Trek versus growing up. I was always uh, I yeah. never quite get into it. To me, I thought, and I, I know I'm going to piss off a lot of people saying this. I always thought you didn't, that, you didn't uh, like different races kissing each other. <laughs> yeah, still don't. Um, no, I, I, that's that's not true. That's not true. No longer um, true. John's changed his yeah. opinion. So. <laughs> uh, I hate Shane Gillis. Um, yeah, I I thought that the original uh, Star Trek was a little campy and oh yeah yeah and like that's you only can enjoy it for camp factor. And I thought I've always thought the next generation was a little boring. So there's really oh. never a Star Trek like for me. Um, I bet um, I bet Next Generation would be not as boring as you thought I, it was, and I bet... I bet uh, if I went back and revisited it, I would probably... But I bet it. if you watch, like, Voyager, it is boring. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a super Star Trek mm-hmm. uh, fan, but I do appreciate... You know what? Similar to Twilight Zone, I like getting lists of, like... The, I did this with Doctor Who. You just get a list oh, of the top the, 20 episodes, right. and you just watch those. Cool. If you watch the top 10 to 20 episodes of Doctor Who, it seems like the most amazing show you've ever seen. Right, but if you watch all of them. Watch all of them, no. Definitely it's not. funny, you hear people talk about, like... They glorify past seasons of SNL. Yeah. And, well, now it's terrible. But man, in the '90s, the Spade and Rock and all these people. That's when it was. And then I heard somebody uh, say this on another podcast. I think so. Like, yeah, that's because anytime you rewatch it, you only watch the best sketches. Yeah, and like yeah, anytime yeah. they re-air it, they do forty. They're, it's their forty-five minute episodes. They cut yes. out all the boring shit. If you had to watch the whole ninety minutes of that, they had shitty sketches too. Like, oh yeah, um, um, I, I will recommend two SNL sketches to watch. Okay. On YouTube, one is. Uh, Sarah Lee Instagram. Oh, so weird and so funny. Um, you, so, that is much more of a sketch for you than it is for me. Well, did I tell you that I found out that Julio Torres wrote that? Oh, sure. Um, and then the other one I thought is... Bone Yang wrote that. Uh, I think they both wrote it, but okay. I, I heard that Julio Torres was involved with writing it. Um, the, the other one is... Um, I think it's. I think it might be called like NBA Tesh or something, but it's. Uh, I'll show it to you after the word. It's, so if you like I Think You Should Leave, mm-hmm. this is a sketch that Tim Robinson wrote uh, it's his sketch on SNL, and you get you can totally see it's a Tim Robinson sketch. Sure. Um, and I'll just say that John Tesh, NBA, SNL, two very good sketches. Oh, okay, I haven't seen that in a long time, and I'm seeing it on YouTube. Is he wearing like a jersey? No, it's uh, John Tesh. Come, they're like, we need a theme song for the NBA. Yes, I, I've seen. I, I would have seen it a few years ago. I can't remember. We got the best. We got John Tesh. Sudeikis is John Tesh, and he's like, I got my. It's me and my brother Dave Tesh, mm-hmm. and so they play the iconic NBC. And then Tim Robinson as Dave starts singing. It's like basketball, gimme, gimme, gimme the rock because I'm gonna dunk it. And he just continues to sing the lyric over and over. Right. And they're like, you know what? That was great. Um, could we hear it with uh just the lyrics? isolated out yes, of it? Yes, I've seen this okay. years ago. I want to yeah. watch it again. Definitely now. worth watching. You know, it's not a surprise to me. I don't mean this in a negative way, but it's like watching that, watching I Think You Should Leave, it makes sense to me why he didn't fit in totally yeah. SNL. No, it actually like, it, doesn't, does. it makes sense that why he didn't last there for a couple I think he wrote there for a couple of years and then yeah. became a cast member and then I think was left the next year. Um, but yeah, there's really not a spot for how weird he is there. I also think that um, his sketches kind of have a cumulative effect 
where you start to feel the rhythm of there, there, there's things about them that are similar to each other, but in mm-hmm. a good way for some reason. Right. Uh, you know what? He's the Danny Dirtes of uh, <laughs> oh, comedy. All right, I'll take it. Because you could say you could list three effects of Danny Dirtes in a row, and they're like there's similarities to. He has like six different any card at any numbers. Right. Currently, um, and so it's funny because Danny or Dirtes uh, has a he starts to like manipulate even those rhythms to where you're like, Oh, he always does. This is how we do it. And then it's not that right. The next time. Uh, oh, to close the loop, to finish up on that Woody Aragon thing. So I want to finish oh, yes. that story. So, uh, yeah, so the story is he puts out this big thing on Facebook. He kind of saying that he's upset because there was no yellow light. So we didn't really know he was approaching that time. He thought he had more time than he did. Uh, so I see that post. I see someone a couple weeks later, about a month later at Magic Live. Now, how you can afford to go to Italy, the Italy Fism and then the Vegas Magic Live mm. is a is I'll never understand. But so I meet this guy. Um, he's European, and we're talking about. He's telling me about Fism, and I'm asking him some questions about acts and who did well and, and and such, and if he saw these people that did well. And I was talking, mentioning about the Woody Ergon thing. And at first, I was like, "Fuck this guy, Woody forever." But I was saying. Um, that whole Woody thing and I go he posted the thing about the yellow light and he goes that's not true and I went what do you mean he goes the yellow light was there it was flashing and, he, and the audience all saw it and, he, and we were all yelling at it people were yelling at him into that yellow light to stop because they didn't want him to go over and they said that yellow light had been on for like what looked like 30 40 seconds and, they're like, stop, stop. and he's like has all this rhythm and at first I was like well, this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about fuck this guy uh, but then about a couple about a year later maybe I can't remember exactly how long but Woody Aragon puts a video up of his act from FISM, and she's like, Woody Aragon FISM act. And it's only on YouTube for like 10 days, because I was showing it to people over those 10 days, yeah. and then eventually it was just gone. And uh, and it's him doing his act. The act is fucking amazing. It's like 10 minutes and 5 seconds. And uh, and in the last 30 seconds, you can hear people in the audience screaming at him to stop. Oh. So now and then now again, like I said, I wasn't at 2015 Italy Fism. You can't see the light or any kind of light from the video, but the video is fixated right on him. Right. Uh, but I will say, at, at the Korea Fism, in both close up and stage, no matter where I was sitting, it's not a light; it's a fucking like fire, like truck, uh, right. um, like siren looking thing. Like it ro- is rotating and it's like it spins uh-huh. and it is unmistakable. You have a yellow one and a red one when you hit ten minutes. Right, right. Um, so I, both at the uh, at the, the on the stage competition especially, like you could definitely hmm. see it. I don't. I mean, that, that's not unfair to say that, that means that 2015 you could see it because it's a different convention, different people putting it on, and in yeah. different spaces. Um, so. But yeah, so that's that. So he gets disqualified for going a couple seconds over. And the real sad part is, and Woody Aragon's great, um, but the real sad part is watching that video is that you watch it and he does a lot of because the idea is he has like six people in a semicircle around him. There's like six people all really tied on him mm-hmm. and they're interacting with him and he's doing bits with these people and he's joking with them and he's great. He's killing, but it's like you can see throughout the whole act like 30 to 40 minutes 30 to 40 seconds of like extraneous like uh-huh, bits that, with that people kind of, yeah, you know yeah. what i mean like he jokes about like someone has a t-shirt and he jokes about the pattern on their t-shirt yeah. like that was five seconds that was the five seconds buddy <laughs> no. uh, so sometimes you just, it's just like it's hard to watch but the act was incredible and the fun side story about that is so one he um, he has his own hour-long show at the 2018 fism uh-huh. uh his, they, they had a section of one-man shows they called it and that was uh, Juan Tomres had a one-man show. Woody Aragon had a one-man show. And there's just these hour-long shows. Shoot and, Sh- Shoot and Simon did a two-person, one quote, right. one-man show. Avner had a one-man show. Mm-hmm. Um, these were all categor- categorized in the same thing because they're all in the same theater, all twice um, throughout the week. Uh, and so, anyway, so 
So he did one of those, but also performed in the big close-up gala, which was entirely in front of the entire convention for, you know, 1,600 people on this giant thing. Anyway, he closes the close-up gala because he doesn't do his physical act in his one-man show, but he does it for the close-up gala. That's the only thing he does. Uh-huh. And so the MC comes out and he goes, when we asked this next performer to perform in the close-up gala, his only request was, can I have more than 10 minutes? <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, who's looking Woody Aragon. So, you know, he he, humor, and he's, he's doing fine. It's yeah, not yeah. like he went away <laughs> after yeah. that. He was doing okay. Yeah. So that's my that's my Woody Aragon um, story. So, yeah, now I'm, we'll see maybe if I go to Magic Live or not. We'll see. Mm-hmm. The other thing is I spent a lot of money. Uh, yeah, how much money did you spend? No idea. No idea. <laughs> oh, no. I stopped keeping track. Uh, what I, was your favorite thing you bought? Um. Oh. Uh. Wait. Is this ready to show? Can I show this to you? Oh yeah. Here. This. <laughs> this was how kind of like I showed this to Eric, and uh, let me show it to you first. And uh, so this is a um. What do you call it? A this is a key with the a key, key ring on it. House key. Yeah. You can look at it. Can I touch um, it? Yeah. But let me here, let me show you. So like, uh, don't examine it yet. Okay. <laughs> This is a modern miniature version of. Uh, For context, Chris very openly extended this thing to me. It's closer to me than it is to him. It's so yeah, like, yeah, oh, can sorry. I, can I touch bad. it? I didn't follow the Avner rules. Uh, this is a modern micro version of linking rings. So um, I'm going to make this ring move from one side to the other. <laughs> this cat <laughs> being you, in the room are you is like. To cats? I'm not allergic, but when he is you know, that much sneezes. in my face. Yeah. Gotcha. In fact, let me hold one second. Yeah, that cat was all up in there. Oh, cool. Pretty impressive. And then I'm going to do it one-handed. One, two, three. So now you might say, I'm just flipping the key over, which is what I'm doing. Okay. But can you hold on? That was a suspicion. Can you hold that tightly? Yeah. Let's see. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, cool. Okay, we're back. I just demoed this. This is, I think it's called Micro Key by Jeff Price. That's good. You fooled me. Um, so it's a it's a key with three little holes on it and a key ring on one of the holes. And the idea is he just very visually plucked it over from one hole to the other while it was in my hand while I was yeah. holding the key. And, you, so, and then he immediately let go and I was able to, to examine it. And you're examining it. now and, and you were able to keep it from flipping over. So oh, you, I got it. No. I, I don't, I don't <laughs> um, so so this was a fun thing that I got the the convention. I will say that it's a, it's a amusing – it was amusing that I showed it to Eric, my husband. <laughs> I said, you know, this was kind of like the hottest thing at the convention. And he just started laughing. Because <laughs> <laughs> so then he, as a joke, was like, oh, man, you got to see this key thing. It's like so incredible. And I was like, that's almost verbatim what someone said to me. Yeah. Like coming out of the dealer's rooms, like you got to go to there and just see Jeff Brace's key thing. <laughs> so I went over and I heard that from multiple people. Like I heard I heard about this thing more from other people than any other thing I heard about at right. the convention. And so it is kind of funny that it's, it's a for what it is, it's like funny that the whole convention to to an outside person it seems ridiculous that people were excited about this. To an outside person, it's, most things about magic seem ridiculous. Yeah, and actually, I kind of thought 
how often is that happening where like the thing everybody's talking about is sort of just this weird like net effect of like four people thought it was cool and like they told like it right. wasn't really like the sensation of the convention it just happened to be the thing that everybody lashed on to as being the thing mm-hmm. um, because i've i think i've heard you describe sometimes either a book or something that was like yeah that was at a magic live and it sold out you right know, that kind of stuff sometimes also sometimes things will be like my dad and i will go to a lot of magic lives together and then at the end uh my like two months later We'll both get an email from like a Penguin Magic or a, or a, you know a Vanishing Ink or something, and be like, "This was the talk of the convention. Yeah. It completely sold out." I'm like, "I fucking never once heard about that thing." So it's like sometimes these yeah. things happen, these currents happen that you kind of miss. Well, I I mentioned this on the previous one, but like they sold out of Ryan Plunkett's book, right? But that seems like just because he didn't have enough. Well, but Vanishing Ink is publishing it. Is this a new book or is this new book? Uh, Vanishing Ink is printing it. They oh, published it. They brought a hundred copies for a lecture that had five hundred people in it. Yeah. So now they How get to the s- book. I have no idea, uh, but they get to say it sold out. So maybe that's a marketing thing. Gotcha. But that was very disappointing because, and it's particularly disappointing because, I, and I'm sure I mentioned this, but like he showed maybe four or five tricks, and two of them were from the book. And I'm not a great note taker during lectures, especially when I'm like I can buy the lecture notes. Mm-hmm. Or I can buy the book that this is going to be in, and then it was, you know, not available. Which reminds me, Henry Evans is going to be at the, ca- at the castle. I'm doing a lecture of the Magic Apple on, on, on Sunday. Six. Yes, I heard. Are yeah. you going to go to that? Uh, I'm coming back from Palm Springs, going to Palm Springs this weekend. Oh, cool. Um, so if I'm back in time, I will go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know anything about Henry Evans. Oh, he's very good. Former oh. FISM winner. Oh. Um, yeah, he uh, is one of the famous things. He created that 10 exact cuts trick. Oh, uh, oh, very cool. Gimmick version. A lot of cool yeah, gimmick yeah. stuff. You can find videos of him. But I was actually, I always thought Henry Evans was like fine. Yeah. But then one year he was on Shoot's Japanese TV special uh-huh. doing close up. And then he, they did a small segment where it was like just kind of for some B roll footage uh, where it was him, Shoot, and Tom Stone sitting at a table, all kind of like sessioning, jamming, mm-hmm. as you as you hate to call oh, it. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, that guy's got fucking good shit. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. Like, I, I was, I was uh, more impressed than I was having some just seen videos of him in the past. And I was like, oh, I, I came away from the, I didn't even watch his act that he did when he filmed. I, I remember definitely come away, remember coming away from that uh, weekend going like, fuck, Henry Evans is yeah. Henry Evans good. And so I, uh, I might go see this. And I urge anyone who's kind of on the fence because they, they don't know much about Henry Evans, go see it. He's, a, he's yeah. smart. I will say that my overall takeaway from Magi Fest was that I can see why people, and I, I, I can see why people like the social aspect of going to these conventions. It was actually surprisingly much more um, like a community feeling than I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. And people were generally a lot, not friendly than I thought it would be, but like as friendly as I would, as I hoped they would be. Sure. Um, and uh, like I can literally legitimately say like I now consider like I'm acquainted with say, 10 to 15 people more than I was before the weekend. Oh, cool. That are like magic related or like, oh, I, don't, I mentioned that. I don't know if I mentioned this, but I met Caleb Wiles, who does, who created the, the rescindled effect that I did at my audition. Oh, okay. So I got to talk to him about it a little bit. And cool. so, so it's just interesting to see, like, uh, yeah, actually, and from my last audition, uh, I've met two of the people that have created things that I've, yeah, that's a, weird feel. that's a weird moment. Yeah. Now, granted, I fucked Caleb Wiles' trick up and I didn't get into the castle. So, sure. But it's funny. I showed him like what I did, and he was <laughs> laughing about it. Um, but it's just interesting. Like it's it's. I think that is the thing that that's something that's very distinct to magic. That is, 
that I wouldn't underrate, like the ability to go and just sort of hang out with a, a wide expanse of people involved in the thing. And there, there is a culture of friendliness mm-hmm. that is very, to me, counter to like the public image of magic. And also is why all of these jokes about magic magicians being social butterflies and nerds and virgins and all stuff really mm-hmm. like, it rubs me the wrong way even more in light of the fact that like they're a bunch of pretty nice people. Right. So anyway, that just yeah, that is a strange thing to me that anytime it's like, oh, so I guess magicians are like super secretive about their tricks. I'm always not like, at not all. really, you know, um, I guess at a certain point you hit that. I mean, Penn and Teller aren't at a convention being like, well, when we shoot each other, what our, our work on it is, this, you know what I mean? Like, no yeah. doing, so at some point there is, there becomes a point where it does kind of matter. But for the most part, it's like people are pretty open. And, and, um, only, uh, there was one person that I was hanging out with that he was very conscientious of. If you showed him something, he would say like, um, you know, I'd love to know how that's done, but I understand if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. But pretty much everybody was like, I want to show you how that was done. Right. <laughs> like, that's part of it. Um, so anyway, overall, very fun. Yeah, convention. almost every girlfriend I've ever had is basically I've heard tell the story to other people of like, yeah, I never want to know how he, how it's done, but like he how, he makes me listen. Yeah. Like then just like I'm if I have something new, I'm like I get so excited to share it with somebody. I caught myself doing that. Someone to some, I care about. You know? uh, when I was home with my family, I caught myself a couple of times like doing a trick and then when I was done explaining it to them before they even like wanted to know. Right, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm sort of just lecturing in real time as you yeah, do yeah. the trick. I uh, just do real time lectures. Um. I, I've never related to Bond villains more in my life than being a magician. Like, you just want someone to know how well yes. this is going, like how cool this is. Exactly. Um, so, hey, do you have any shows coming up? Public shows? Uh, I don't have any public. Oh, oh I do. I, uh, also, let's talk about your, at least announce your Peller dates. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, I, I, oh, that, that actually wasn't even what I was going to mention. So, I'll be at the Peller on February 12th through 16th with Robert Ramirez. Uh, side note, um, our shows for Friday the 14th of February are canceled because of uh, an event they have in the Inner Circle that night. So, the castle's open. Our shows are By the way, the name night. of that event is? It's like a kitten uh, adoption. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, there's a kitten adoption. Uh, in, the, in the bathroom of the castle, it's called Getting Frisky. Yeah, which is a kitten adoption. Right. Uh, because thing. I didn't think that was a good um, If you want to just come hang out with me, uh, you can see me. You can hang out with me on Monday, February 10th as I host Magic Bar oh, cool. uh, with the wonderful Nick Paul uh, performing. Or on the 17th of February with the wonderful David Stryker performing. Mm. Really excited for that. David, Wait, love you. Is he responsible? Is there a double lift named after him? I, uh, no, no, that's a strike. Don't strike worry. second deal, yeah, yeah. <laughs> strike, yeah, yeah. And then I will uh, sometime in March be um, hosting again on a Tuesday. I think that's uh, I think March tenth. Uh, I can't, I can't remember, but just, I'll be Mar- whenever Mark Matsumoto is at Magic Bar. I'll be hosting. Just for to him. clarify, the double lift is named after uh, uh, Richard. Doublelift. Yeah, Richard, <laughs> Richard Doublelift. Doublelift. Uh, dub yeah. And then I will be headlining and performing at Magic Bar on March 30th and 31st. Cool. Uh, and then, uh, as I mentioned in the last episode, I'll be at the Chicago Magic Lounge from the 19th to the 26th of April. Oh, yes. And I think I'm going to go. Cool. Yeah. Let's, let's plan something. Um, Because, I, first of all, I think I might see if I can sit in with Baby Wants Candy out there. Cool. I'd love to see you in Baby Wants um, Candy in Chicago. Are they at Second City? They are at IO. Right? Well, I've never been to. I think so. Uh, actually, I'm not totally sure. I'm glad you're going to be there because I'm, I'm a friend of mine who or who's I've known through Simon, who lives out in Chicago. That I'm going to keep uh, um, um, hit up while I'm out there. Keeps posting videos from uh, 
um, like Instagram stories of, of what looks to be the opening of a board game board game cafe and like staff Ooh. training. So I'm like, man, if Chris is in Chicago, we can just spend the daytime in this yeah. board game cafe. Um, also, I told Ryan Plunkett that I would say hello when we go out there because cool. he works at the Chicago Magic. Yes, he does. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, um, I think that's pretty good. What we, do you got going on? Uh, I am in Magic to Do next Thursday at seven o'clock. I think that's it for now. Okay. Uh, I saw you. Uh, uh, there's one drop episode of Superstore coming out. Oh, January thirtieth. Okay. Watch me get married, or will I? <sighs> on NBC's Superstore. Bum bum. Can I say this without us getting sued? <laughs> Can yeah, I sure. do that song? Bum bum. NBC. Uh, yeah. So we'll see you next time. See ya. Hey, look at me. It's it's me. I'm still here. Uh, it's a couple days later. Uh, I just wanted to say I have the bonus audio of Theron and Justin and their reaction to the Avner workshop. And I'm going to play you that right now. All right. This is a reaction to Avner, the Eccentrics workshop. This is uh, correspondent Justin Zell and uh, uh, our buddy, friend of the pod, I'll say, <laughs> even though, uh, is uh, Theron... Trowback. Trowbridge. Trowbridge. Oh, boy. Close enough. I should have written it down. It's okay. Theron Trowbridge, uh, who is a uh, performing member, yeah, of the Magic Castle. I mean, magician member. Magician member. Magic there we call, we call him. Call him magician member of the Magic Castle. Uh, so he's an expert, uh, much more than me. <laughs> um, uh, so first thoughts, like the first thing when we say, like, what, what did you find you connected to in an Avner's workshop? Um, it was, it was, I didn't know what I expected. Yeah. I'm not a big performer. Right. Uh, so that was, so I, I walked in a little bit trepidatious, not sure what to expect, but he started out recapping basically what he did in in his lecture, but he made it more participatory. Yeah. So it was nice to be able to partner up and, and sort of experience the whole, like approaching somebody and that, that that point at which they sort of get their haunches up right when you break their personal space exactly yeah and really like feeling um how you can manipulate that too with the breath uh when you go for the handshake when you hold your breath during the handshake and it's like oh when they gonna gonna (laughs) breathe you know and you're once you're conscious of it you're like geez i do this automatically all the time it's amazing yeah um the first thing that pops in my head is just like just validation and and literally saying some things that I say to my students that other people have said, uh, despite not talking about improvisation, but just specifically uh, clowning and and showmanship, I think, in a way, and right. uh, telling stories. Uh, and it was saying, you know, make statements rather than questions. It was just like, yes, I wanted to jump up <laughs> and say amen and, uh, and say validating the audience was a big one for me. It's right. like, oh, that's saying yes and to the audience. Yeah. That was a big one for me, absolutely. <laughs> And also talking on the point of all the sort of bad magician habits. Ooh, yeah. Just I definitely felt like there were some people in the audience who were like, yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> but what, 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 you know, what about this one? Right. Well, pretty much sounds like the same thing, right? And, we, and they've talked about on, on this podcast a lot of, um, you know, well, and when no, no reaction. Well, that was five years of my life. Or, exactly. um, you know, give them a big round of applause. Or wouldn't it be amazing... Yeah. And what was the other one? Was it like, uh, oh. oh, once you, once we reveal that it is your card, there'll be a thunderous applause. Exactly. Like, like stage directions for the audience. Right. Um, that was that was definitely a big thing. That was most of probably the question and answer. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, 
also the idea of character. Um, I don't have the note in front oh, of me, partly. It was fascinating because he basically said, I don't believe in character. Right. But then sort of went on to say, you have all of those characteristics because everyone has at some point been mean, been friendly, has right. been you know, arrogant, has been whatever. And then the idea that you just sort of eliminate, you sort of edit out the mm. characteristics that don't fit right. what you're trying to do. Right. But underneath that, it felt like what it was was underneath the, the almost like, like the audience understands that the actor or the performer is saying it's okay that they're there. That was something I kind of got from what he was saying. That even if they're, the character's nervous, the character isn't like ner- just nervous just because they're there. They're nervous because of a problem or something else outside of the relationship to... Right. Um, the other big word was rapport, right? That was a big thing that, was, that we had not heard in the other version. Yeah, that was kind of the core of what he was getting at. Yeah. He started off with the same thing from the lecture of right. the performer is sort of in fear of stepping out on stage because they sort of think, oh, I hope this doesn't suck. Right. And then the audience sitting out there listening right. to the introductions go, oh, gosh, I hope this doesn't <laughs> suck. Right. So you have the performer and the audience being afraid of each other. Right. And so his idea of establishing rapport right. with, the, with both of them saying, oh, it's okay that you're here. Right. We're going to enjoy what we have. We'll enjoy it together, yeah. Um, oh, and that made me think of the other thing he said. He said... Uh, when people are like, what if my character is like antithetical to the audience or something like that? And it was like, well, they're, if they're not having fun, basically, if, if their enjoyment is your employment. Right. That was such a great, like, yep. And his thing, his thing, he said this in the lecture as well, is they won't remember the tracks. Right. They'll just remember if they enjoyed, if they enjoyed you. Right. They enjoyed you. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a common saying of like people say like, you know. In the end, people won't remember the things you said or did. It's more like how you made them feel. Right. right? Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that was kind of the core of what he was trying to get across. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a lot. Of, just a lot of validation of like, oh. And then, yeah, there were a lot of different little um, exercises both we could do in pairs, which was really nice that everybody got to feel certain things. And then he would have like anywhere from two to three people come up and do... Um, yeah, because a big theme was entering the stage. Like, how do you enter the stage? How do you let the audience know, oh, you're here, it's okay. Right. You know, even if I am trepidatious, even if I am nervous, even if I'm a character that's low status, they still have to acknowledge the audience, right? They're not going right. to ignore them. Yeah, instead of stepping out and scanning the room quickly and then yeah. going and doing whatever they're doing. Right. Yeah, that was a big thing. But I think it was something like there is... There's the it's like there's this kind of medium ground of there's either too much eye contact like right. they're just staring at the audience or there's like no acknowledgement whatsoever right just like let me look at my task and hold my breath the whole time yeah <laughs> right ooh there's the yeah that's that's the theme of of the other uh, Theron just put uh, uh, going through my notes notes here. and yeah one of say that ones one? was be interested don't be interesting right people are trying performers are trying to be interesting but the way that you get the audience interested in you is to be interested in what you're doing yeah yeah so and sometimes interested in their reaction to and it too, in, yeah. interested in them yeah absolutely um, yeah isn't that interesting that was it right that was the that that if, if we if we get one uh motto from this whole workshop and from 
everything that Abner said when he said something, because his his act is normally silent, right? Um, is and that like all his facial expressions are when something weird or unusual happens. Ah, interesting. Yeah, exactly. Rather than oh shoot, blah 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 blah. Yeah. So that's a much better response to heckling, to a lack right. of response. Right. Um, it's sort of the you know or, or to the, a mistake or the card of the trick going wrong. Yeah. Right. Your card was the four of diamonds. This is the three of hearts. Interesting. And then rather than move on. Yeah. Or if it's part of the act, rather than like right. I used to, I made up one when I was like fourteen or fifteen or you know. Oh, I got the card wrong, and then I finally get it right accidentally. But like, I used to play it real, real, and the and now I'm realizing like I made them uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think in a lot of cases that was his internal dialogue of, you know, the interruption by applause from the from the audience. Go, oh, interesting, and then yeah. figuring out what how to move forward from there. Yeah, absolutely. This was the other big thing I liked. He said, yeah. it's either their card or it's interesting. Yeah, right. Because you think that that, that that phrase is going to be, or it's not. Right. <laughs> no, it's or it's interesting. Yeah. Oh, man. That right. was two and a half hours, and it could have been eight. <laughs> right. Easily. Oh, I could have. Oh, yeah. Well, he said yeah, he does or like eight, eight weeks or eight yeah. days. He said yeah. it is an eight-day one, and he also does uh, a one-week, and then there's like an advance. It's the second week. like So two weeks, right. you could say, with this man. Um, and he, he did kind of, uh, what was it, kind of throw, kind of name drop a little bit and said recently, Ossie Wynn, who's Wynn, yeah. uh, God, a god amongst magic creators for sure. Right. Uh, and he's got that. Also took it, yeah. Yeah, he's got that same kind of vibe that uh, Dan and Dertiz has. Yeah. And Abner was sitting on the Dertiz lecture, right. workshop yeah. and was super appreciative of the way I think Dan and Dertiz was doing a lot of these things in a very intuitive way. Yeah, cool. Well, that definitely leads to, uh, I'm sure Chris is going to publish a reaction to uh, Danny D'Ortiz's uh, workshop from this morning. Yes. And uh, thus ends an amazing Magi Fest, an amazing festival uh, fest, uh, conference for me. Any, any parting thoughts about the conference from you? No, Aaron? I think it's been it's my first big convention. Yeah. And uh, I just, it was pretty amazing i'm glad i came awesome back to you guys that's a big thanks to justin oh i guess i shouldn't be saying thank you to justin and theron i should just be letting you guys applaud naturally but thanks to them for uh providing us that update and uh also for um basically uh giving more detail and about the things that we referred to in our main conversation um so that was uh justin zell and theron trowbridge um uh, justin is the owner and uh, one of the teachers at Steel City Improv in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And Theron is a magician member of the Magic Castle in Los Angeles. Uh, he also does very cool stuff at a place called Crash Space in Los Angeles. If you like doing 3D printing, um, CNC machines, CNC music factories, all that kind of stuff. Uh, he handles that over at Crash Space. Um, so thanks to everybody for listening to this long episode. I uh, hope you enjoyed hearing about Magi Fest and all the thoughts we had about it. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.